friends, and welcome back to another episode of Get Your Comic On. Today we are doing another of our specials celebrating 80 years of Batman and the 1000th issue of Detective Comics, which comes out, technically comes out today, if you're listening to this on the day that we release it, but that is March 27th, 2019. My name is Neil. Nice to see you as always. My name is Martin. I would say it's also nice to see you, but I can't really see you. So what we're going to do today, we are talking about our favourite Batman comics today. If you've listened to the previous edition, you know we talked about Golden Age of Batman movies, and we're going to be talking about the present day and future of Batman movies in our next episode. Uh, but today we are focusing on Batman in comics. What we're going to do is we have each just gone through our comic book collection and picked out a couple of books each that we uh, want to just highlight as one of our favourites. We're going to talk about it for a couple of minutes, what we like, and then we maybe have a little bit of time for chat at the end about some of our other favourite Batman comic book moments. So I'm going to throw it to you to start off with the first one. Which one are we going with first, Maddy? So how are we doing it? Are we doing this in order of preference or at random? Oh, I was just going with that random. Oh, random, okay. So I will... Ca- oh, I don't know now. It's, I feel the pressure to start with a good one. Hopefully they're all good, considering you picked them as your favourites. That is very true. I'm going to kick off with a fairly newish one from the New 52 series. You may have heard of it. It's The Court of the Owls. Good choice. Scott Snyder. I was tempted to hoot, but I won't. Don't do that. I won't. <laughs> yeah, so what, published in 2011, first in Batman. Is it 2011? 2011, yeah. Is it really? Yeah. And that was a good combination of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. Both of whom we've met. We have met. And I think that's probably why it sticks with me, because I always remember seeing them at Comic-Con, and they've been really funny together. Yeah. You... you can't. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> Would you like to tell the anecdotal story of Scott Snyder and how he first met Greg? No, he tells them much better than me. <laughs> uh, for the uninitiated... Uh, we were at a DC Comics panel and Scott Snyder was talking about what it was like to work with Greg because the two do have a great admiration for each other. And Scott was saying that they first met over email, am I right? Uh, and he said he was all nervous and sending him emails that were like, Dear Mr. Capullo, I like your artwork. And being all formal, but now they're like the best of friends. Okay, so tell us a bit about Court of the Owls then. So Court of the Owls is... Uh, let me read you the synopsis. I'll read you the synopsis. Thank you. I'll give you a synopsis. This is... So, Court of the Owls is an organised crime group and secret society appearing in American comics published by DC Comics, commonly associated with the superhero Batman. They have secretly existed since colonial times in Gotham City. So, the court kidnaps child performers from the circus. Cue who that might be. (laughs) Only to train and transform them into assassins known as Talons. They're their first appearance in Batman issue number two as part of the new 52 um, sort of re... I was going to say rebirth. That's another sort of regeneration of the series. Oh, just throwing out their titles now. Yeah. So we're going for the the new 52 rejuvenation of the series, shall we say. Okay. So I really like this um, purely because... it had this massive, great, huge, big secret organisation under the nose of Batman that he, that was always there 
And he hadn't known about but it. But he hadn't really known about it. And I like the connotations of, well, you know, owls hunt bats and that's how they survive type thing. Uh, so I quite like that. Nice. That was very clever. Well done, Mr. Snyder. and Snyder. So we read this one as it went month by month. We didn't pick this one up as a trade paperback, did we? I don't think we own this as a, as a story on its own. No, we don't. I've always wanted to, cause just so I could get the free mask, because it always comes in that box. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have all the issues of this one. You must have hunted through the archives to find that one. I did the archives of my mind. <laughs> oh, right, okay, fair enough. So my standout moment from this series is the part where Batman is in the maze of the Court of the Owls and he's sort of he's trapped there for what is it, like days or weeks and he has to find his way through and it's all just about facing his own demons and overcoming challenges. I quite like that that series that issue basically. Like that image is where you see the, the beaten and tattered yeah. Batman next no, to the, he was, the giant marble owl. He was down there for a number of issues, was he not? By the time they captured him? Running around that labyrinth that's underneath the city. That is that's that was kind of how a lot of people were introduced to Greg Capullo's artwork. And when Mr Capullo <laughs> When Snyder and Capullo really kind of cemented their partnership, that was uh, that it was that run that did it, I think, really. Yeah. How many issues does it run for? It ran for seven issues. Is that the collected edition? Yes, it is. Of course, that started a really long-running partnership for the two of them, because what was it Death of the Family that came next? There were so many different runs with the two of them together on Batman, because you had... Yeah, you had Death of the Family, you had uh, the whole end game with Batman and Joker that ends up with Bruce supposedly dead and then you've got Robot Bunny Batman when it's Commissioner Gordon Oh yeah. before they then move to Justice League that they're doing now. And did they do Zero Year together? Yes, Zero Year was also in that, yeah. That isn't on our list actually. That's not on my list or your list. And what about um, Batman Eternal? Was that them? Uh, They didn't, I don't think, I don't think Capullo drew any of Eternal, no. But Snyder was involved in writing it. Both Volume 1 and Volume 2. Anything else you want to say about Court of the Owls? Um, no, I think that's enough because we've got quite a few to get Interesting through. that it's bled into the TV series because you have got you had the Owls in Gotham. We did, we had the Owls in Gotham and we got our um, Court of the Owls animated movie adaption as well. And they turned up in Young Justice. They did. So plenty of reach for something that's only recently been in the comic books. It's such a mess. I mean, you could get away with them, but they've always been there. Well, you could get away with that, but we've just in, not ter- <laughs> in terms of from when they came to the forefront, they've done they've uh, weeded their way into a lot of different types of medium. They've hooted out there. So now it's your turn. Thanks. So first on my list is uh, slightly out of continuity. I am going for Batman Mad Love. Which technically sort of Joker Harley story as much as it is a Batman story. But his name is on the cover, so I'm allowing it. Written by the wonderful Paul Dini and Bruce Tim of Batman the Animated Series. Who we also met. Yes, so the copy of we actually own two copies of Batman Mad Love. We've got a hardback and a paperback. And if you open the back cover of our paperback, Harley's ass is signed by Bruce Tim. On one of the covers. He, did, he made a joke about that, didn't he? He did say, 
Oh, I think I'll just sing her a poem. Ha, ha, ha. He did, yeah, but then he signed millions of copies of this book, and I think he's probably bored stiff of it, but I figured I'm probably only ever going to get one chance to meet Bruce Tim, so I'm sorry, but you're going to have to sign me Mad Love. So but give us our synopsis of Mad Love. The award-winning adventures of psychotic clowns and the women who love them. Bruce Tim and Paul Dini were two of the masterminds behind the Emmy Award-winning Batman the Animated Series. Their first comics collaboration, The Batman Adventures Mad Love, garnered tremendous critical acclaim and won the 1994 Eisner and Harvey Awards for Best Single Story. The following year, they received another Eisner for their work on The Batman Adventures Holiday Special. Now, these incredible collaborations and more are collected here as the duo of Dini and Tim dive deep into the world of the Dark Knight with thrilling tales of dangerous dames, demons and death traps. Although that doesn't actually tell you about the story of Madeline, which is actually an origin story for Harley Quinn. (laughs) But it was beautifully read. Thank you very much. I've often been told that I should work on dodgy telephone lines with a voice like mine. Voice for the BBC. (laughs) So the reason I love this book is, uh, first of all, Batman the Animated Series, what is not to love about Batman the Animated Series, and what is not to love about Harley Quinn as a character. But then we're talking about Batman. Uh, I just love seeing the artwork from Batman the Animated Series translated into uh, comic book form, because I think it just looks amazing on the page. It looks so similar that you could almost picture everything moving as it would in the cartoon itself. And there's just so much crammed into it, particularly when you see it on paper. I mean, just flicking through it now, you've got the mad love story that we all know. So, you know, you've got Harley in a little negligee being kicked around by the Joker. You've got the hyenas and everything that's in there. But then just flicking through the pages, you see, uh, you know, you've got Batman, obviously. And then you've got Batman in there. And then there's Penguin. There's Two-Face. There's Commissioner Gordon. You've got fights on rooftops. You've got the Batmobile. You've got gadgets. You've got the Strange Love's Wacky Fury, which is like a pulpy novel you'd find in a random shop while you're on holiday that's for women of a certain age that they like to read on the beach and then you've got appearances by Scarecrow, Alfred's chucked in there, you've got the ventriloquist absolutely everyone is in this book and it's just quintessentially Batman for me literally I just do not think in the vein of Batman the Animated Series you could get anything that is more perfect for that whole era of of Batman as it is so that is why it is one of my favourites. It's a very good choice. Thank you very much. So I'm going to go back to that other well-known dynamic duo, if you will. Yeah. So Mr. Caputo and Mr. Snyder for their, again, New 52, keeping it fairly relevant. Ooh, you are keeping it very current. I'm going go for the current ones first. Um, and it's going to be the death of the family, not to Ooh. be confused with death in the family. No. Okay. So again, so this was... Um, so what, when do you think this was out? It's, it's going to be 2012. Uh, 2013. Yeah, yeah. 2012 slash 2013. Well done. You got that right. So this was a 23-issue arc that spanned the whole Bat family. Yeah, I loved this one. So we had what the main storyline in, in Batman comics and then it bled out into the, the wider Bat family. So Batgirl... Titans, Nightwing, Detective Comics, Red Hood and the Outlaws. We've got a bit of Suicide Squad, a bit of Catwoman, a bit of Batman and Robin as well. So it really covered all the bases, really. This was one of those ones where, obviously, we were already subscribing to 
Batman, but I was running out and buying every single tie-in issue as well to make sure that we had the whole story. One of my favourites was actually the Batgirl issue with uh, Joker having kidnapped Barbara Senior, otherwise known as Barbara Keen, um, and chopping her hand off in a bowling alley, if I remember rightly. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, that was... Yeah. And then one of the other images that I remember from this one that sticks in my mind is the whole Bat family round the table tied up around the table in the Batcave, which was right towards the end, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's probably the Matt standout scene where they're all sitting there and their faces are in the jars in front of them. Yeah. Or what they think is their faces in jars in front of them. But it's not actually. It's not actually, yeah. And just the whole disgustedness of the Joker with no, no face, face. And then that's another face. one that comes in a box with a mask. Snyder and Capullo are quite famous for comic books in boxes with masks because there's the owl mask version and the choker mask version for this one. Yeah, but I suppose, I mean, the, so the death... Isn't... It was quite controversial, wasn't it? Uh, because there was the... Remember the first issue was one that had the Joker's face that was card on the front of the comic? Yes. That yeah, was their flipped. month of... That was one of... Was that one... That must have been one of their Septembers where they do random covers with the fold-out faces. That was really controversial, though. There's some people that really did not like that whole cutting the face off thing, which again bled into Gotham. They did actually, yeah. But I suppose if you think about the whole cutting the face off, that actually happened in 2011 in a one-off episode with the Dollmaker. Yes, it did. And the face just sort of left. It was left left hanging in what the GCPD. Metaphorically. Yeah. And well, physically. That, that was in a case, wasn't it? And then we had this like, massive gap of what's going to happen. Is he going to come back for his face? Is he going to have a new face? I forgot about that. And then he just plops the old one on. That does raise an interesting question about whether there's something supernatural about the Joker, though, because putting on your uh, medical head for a minute, uh, could you live without a face? That wouldn't be very comfortable. Okay. No, I mean, you obviously you'd have massive infection and you'd just eventually die. <laughs> um, but realistically, this is a comic, so this is true. And then you've got to think of the the storyline of Endgame, where you know he's got this weird immortalness about him. Kryptonite or Nth Metal? Well, I can't remember now because of some weird pool that he was in, wasn't he? Right in the right in the very 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 depths of the Batcave, where yeah. they end up. Yeah. Trying to think what other standout moments there are from Death of the Family. No one actually died in the end, did they, though? Because the, it was a metaphorical death of the family. That was the end of Bruce kind of being able to trust people and the rest of the family being able to trust Bruce. That was very sad, actually. I think, for me, I love when the Bat family is together and fully functioning in that respect. Yeah, it's, it's nice to kind of see the family as a whole because then you realise actually how how big it really is, to be honest with you. Yeah, because who's around at this point? So, obviously Batman, Nightwing, Red Robin, Red Robin, 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 Red Hood, Red Hood, Batgirl. We haven't got, it's called a squirrel. Alfred, what's, uh, Bluebird? Bluebird's not around at this point, is she? No, that's not till Eternal, is it? That is later on, isn't it? Oh yeah, she was, she was a character in Eternal. You got Catwoman as well, although she's not actually a member of the family at this point, but she's a pretty important part to Batman's life. Yep. Pre wedding. Pre wedding. Or lack thereof. And then of course James Gordon. You can't forget the old Kimish. And Jim Jr. And the other Jim, yeah. All the Gordons. Mrs. Gordon. Yeah. Is that the hand? No more bowling for her, I'm afraid. It's interesting that you've picked two Snyder Capullos. Is there anything in particular that is a combination of those two that 
makes you keep coming back for more? Is it just that you think that his artwork really complements Scott's writing? Or is it that you just really like that style of artwork regardless of what the story is like? Is there a particular aspect of their partnership that really worked for you? Or is it just that you love them so much because we've met them and you've kind of witnessed their quirky little friendship firsthand? I'm going to say it's probably a bit of all of the above, really, because I've never really been a massive reader of sort of the Batman continuity lines. I've always been more into the Bat family. Yeah. Because I, always, I don't know what it is, but I always seem to struggle with the Batman continuity. So I try to read it, but I always get confused because of Batman, there's Detective Comics, and then I don't really... I, they all get mixed up in my mind. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I'm simple like that. Well, no, to be fair, the two have done something very similar at the moment, because in Batman, where we are right now, he's stuck in his own head, living dreams in each issue... And in Detective Comics, in the run-up to 1000, you had his whole Batman's birthday where he puts himself in the simulation. And they were quite similar in a way. You had a couple of weeks where in one series he's in a simulation and in the other one he's in dreams. So they are doing quite similar things at the moment. So I, I think it's fair to say it's not unusual to struggle in discerning between the two. Anything else you want to say about Death of the Family? Or shall I move on to my next choice? Um, no, I just think it's a, an all-round a very good issue that incorporates the whole wider family, which I really enjoy. Okay, well, I am pulling something out of left field for my next choice, because as you were talking about Scott Snyder, and I was thinking about favourite writers and favourite artists, I realised that I have nothing in my list that is Jim Lee, which is ironic, because Jim Lee's Batman is my Batman. But then that suddenly made me think of Jeff Johns. And that led me to my next choice, which is Batman Earth One, Volume One by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. So this is, I was just, the, the quote on the back encapsulates it perfectly, which is, a dark night for a new generation. You only think you know his story. Batman is not a hero. He is just a man, fallible, vulnerable, and angry. In Gotham City, where friend and foe are indistinguishable, Bruce Wayne's path towards becoming the Dark Knight is riddled with more obstacles than ever before. Focused on punishing his parents' true killers and the corrupt police that allowed them to go free, Bruce Wayne's thirst for vengeance fuels his mad crusade, and no one, not even Alfred, can stop him. In the tradition of the number one New York Times best-selling Superman Earth One, writer Jeff Johns and artist Gary Frank reimagined a new mythology for the Dark Knight where the familiar is no longer expected in this long-awaited original graphic novel from DC Comics. Now, you haven't read this, have you? No, I haven't, actually. So I love this. There's only two volumes of Batman. We currently own both volumes of Batman, Volume 1 of Wonder Woman, we don't have Volume 2 of Wonder Woman, uh, and Volume 1 of Superman. We've never read Teen Titans. I nearly bought you Teen Titans a few years ago, but then I realised there's no Robin, and I suddenly thought you may be less interested in the Titans without Robin around. Um, no, I, who's in it? Good question. Cyborg's in it. Uh, I don't because I haven't read it. I'm not really sure who else is there, but it's an unusual lineup. Okay, no, I might give it a go. Interesting enough, though, I haven't read a lot of Earth One, but I have read a lot of Earth Two. Would that remind me which Earth is our Earth Zero? We're Earth Zero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, but, so you have the, read a lot of Earth Two. I have, which is weird. I don't know how I got into that. So you read the read, entire of New Fifty Two Earth Two. So I read all of New Fifty Two Earth Two's Justice League. 
And that was a really interesting lineup because Batman was actually so Bruce Wayne had died. Yeah. And Dick Grayson fell into the role of Batman. But As he, he was often never does. he was never a superhero before that, it just happened. Oh. So he wasn't Robin before that. He no, just... he was just Dick Grayson man about town. That's in- <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> I never, I never read that series. I never, I don't think I even touched a single issue of that series. Mm, it's interesting because in that series, so Earth is destroyed by apocalypse. Yeah. And then they all have to go and find a new home, basically. Mm. So it's quite an interesting. Yeah. Okay, bringing it back to anyway, Earth One. We digress. No, no, it's fine. Don't worry. Uh, so the whole idea of the Earth One series is they take your heroes that you know and they tell them slightly differently. So in this, Batman is much less of the finished article that you find in any other comic book. And the origin is uh, not dissimilar to Earth-1, which may or may not be a choice of mine that's coming up in a minute. Uh, but it does, it does that classic thing of just slightly twisting the, the history, so it becomes slightly different. So in this, Bruce Wayne is a lot angrier after the death of his parents and uh, chooses to fight in a slightly more aggressive manner than perhaps he does on other Earths. So what you see here is a very green Bruce, not in colour, in attitude, uh, really struggling to be a hero. So he has a lot of fails. He fails a lot. So he falls down. Why do we fall? So we can pick ourselves up. And in doing so, you just get a really different take on the character. Uh, You also get a slightly more military militant, I will say, version of Alfred, which is, again, not dissimilar to the version you see in Gotham, in a way. So Alfred almost pushes him into it a little bit and is is more of a... more more of a mentor to the, to the violence of Batman than he has been in previous versions. And it just... I just think it's always interesting to see the story that you know so well told from a different perspective or told slightly differently. And then there are some amazing twists particularly when it comes to the Earth-1 version of uh, of the Joker, but that, that comes up at a later date. To begin with here, it's just, uh, this is an origin story, but it's a it's an origin story which is, is different to what you've seen before. So it's an exciting read, and a very different read, but with some familiar imagery. Hmm. I'll have to give that one a, a little look-see. I hope one day they do a Volume 3. It's not something that I've looked into particularly, because it's a, it's one of those books that I like to discover rather than kind of pre-plan for so when I discover that there is a volume 3 I will be very happy although I just googled it and I can confirm that it is coming soon oh put it on the on the wish list what is your next choice so my next choice is one from back in the day I'm trying to work By out. back in the day, you mean probably about 2004, 2005. That was a long time ago, when you think about it. That's over 10 years. Okay. Um, it's gone. got the, the classic DC logo, which I love. Uh, so it's back in 1996. Oh, okay. And it was done, It was written by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. And you may know it as The Long Halloween. Love that book. Love that Joker. <laughs> that trilogy is excellent. I love that trilogy. It's not one that I've gone back and reread recently, but it's one that I could not put down. And I read all three books back to back. Yeah, so I mean, I read this recently because we got the Super Duper Ultimate Digital Edition, yeah. which had all the issues, which I really enjoyed. And I read it very quickly. 
And let me read you the back page. It's all bullet point format. I'll try and do it in a dramatic format. A costumed hero learning he can trust no one. A serial killer using the holidays to mark his handiwork. Not a calendar man. A crime lord trying to hold on to a crumbling empire. Falcone. A city bested by gangsters becoming a haven for freaks. An honest district attorney hiding a terrible secret. <laughs> to visit. A dark woman tempting the dark night detective. Meow. <laughs> and a friendship that would be shattered forever. These are the pieces of a murder mystery. The long you Halloween. see, now you should have said murder with a full-on Scottish accent there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> you failed your people. I failed the city. You have failed the city. <laughs> I failed this podcast. Okay, so as you've recently read it, what do you love about it? I, I love the fact that it's more detective, gangster, mob, massive city-ness. Yeah. And I like how there is a really complex storyline... And I, to be honest, because most of the time you can be like, oh yeah, Joker did it. And it's really obvious. Yeah. And it's, 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 obvious. One, it's not obvious at all. So all the way through you're thinking, oh god, it's Harvey, it's Harvey. But actually, it's not. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, I won't tell you who it is, but I, I really like that. So it's almost like watching a serial crime drama, but with Batman. That's very true, it is. And I hope that it's true that it's a big influence on Matt Reeves for his The Batman movie that should be filming later this year because we've never really seen that much of Detective Batman on film and it would be good to see No but I mean it's interesting because I, I did notice elements of this in Christopher Nolan's There are definitely some Yeah, he certainly lent into the mob side of it less what, so yeah. the Falcone Moroni yeah, so slightly more mobby, slightly more yes. Harvey Dentness. Um, so cause, as there's elements of his sort of transition yeah. sort of into into Two Face. Um, you get more of the story with Harvey's wife in this, don't you? Yeah, it, yeah. So there's a lot more going on for this one, which I really enjoyed. How do you feel about the artwork in it? So what's that not... is one that some people are not so keen on. So Tim Sale. I think he's a very underrated artist and there's some amazing panels in there. I think his, the way he draws facial features are quite often criticised by some because it can be quite particular. His faces have a very unique style to them. If you saw, if you didn't know you were looking at a Tim Sale and you saw one, you would know it was him. That didn't quite make sense. If you, you know, if somebody described to you what his artwork was like and then you saw it, you would instantly say, that must be Tim Sale. You, you know his work before you know it's him. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 overall, I quite liked it. I struggled with some parts of it. I'm not going to lie, the Joker scared the bejesus out of me because he is such a creepy... He's drawn so creepily. This is the one with millions of teeth, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he's got, like, a over-exaggerated mouth and yeah. horrible teeth. And, oh, this freaked me out a bit. Um, and the bat ears. I don't, I'm not a massive fan of really long bat ears. Um, but on the whole, I really liked it. Remind me which chunk of the story this is because this goes on through three books does this just do the holiday killer yeah so the first part is just focused on who the holiday killer is and the, and the different the... chapters of the different holidays aren't they they're yeah. marked by the different holidays 
Yeah, so it's almost like the demise of the Falcone family, really, and uh, how the holiday killer... This is where we're introduced to Sophia Falcone as well, aren't we? Who then, when she appears in Gotham, is, uh, let's just say, slightly more... uh, Delicate? Yes, and more generically Hollywood-looking than she is in the book. I would say, in the book, she is uh, a beast. I I was going to go sturdy, but, you know, your descriptive also works quite well. It's amazing how this book... I mean, it's a huge book. I don't know how many pages it is, but it's it's a it's a big old it's a big old boiler. So it's uh, just under four hundred pages for volume one. So it's huge, um, and then I think volume two and three are bigger actually. And in that, you just get so much development of that whole world around the mobs, which is just, it's just great to read. It doesn't just do that. There's a crime. Here's Batman. Here's the supervillain. Let's resolve it. There, like you say, there's a there's a big mystery to it, and there's there's a lot to read in there. Yeah, and there's a lot there's a lot of different characters and character stories which I really like. It's one of the like I said, I haven't read it for a little while, but it's one of those ones that when I do reread it, I always pick up on something different that I've not picked up on before, or I end up focusing on something else, or another plot that I've not really paid too much attention to becomes my favorite plot because there's always something different to pick up every time you read it. Great choice. That's a really great choice. Thank you. I've got good taste. <laughs> Does this mean it's back to me? It's back to you. Okie dokie. So I'm going to stick with the origin theme. And my next choice is the absolute Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli masterpiece, which is Batman Year One. So an absolute classic. So the back page reads, It rose into space, its wings spread wide, then fell its wings, now a fluttering cape, wrapped tight round the body of a man. The story of Gotham City's dark knight, who he is and how he came to be. This book does what it says on the tin, it's a year one. DC are famed for their year ones. We've got a new Superman one that's coming out this year, which should be absolutely amazing, which is also a Frank Miller. But this is the classic, the origin, how Batman came to be Batman. And I, amazingly, hadn't actually read this until after Batman Begins. Um, I don't know how I had never picked up this book, but I hadn't. Obviously, it's also been turned into an animated movie for those that have seen it, although that does take some creative liberties. But what I love about this is seeing the full origin. So I do own uh, Golden Age Batman Volume 1, which obviously has his first appearances. I've read all those those versions of the first appearance. You've got the original first appearance, Batman, with the purple gloves, when he's a bit of a scientist at the same time, and you get the, you know, he's a millionaire who's also a scientist, who's also a bodybuilder, and it's that classic, you know, 40s, pulpy origin story, whereas this is a really dark noir tale that focuses on the death of the Waynes, how he comes to leave Gotham... Harry then travels the world and trains to be Batman, and you really get to see the nitty-gritty of a vigilante carving out a name for himself in this horribly dark and hopeless city that he lives in. What are your standout moments from this book? Um, that's a good question. I'm just flicking through it now. It's hard, it's hard to pick any out because there's just so many scenes. And the, one of the obvious standout ones, which I'm holding up for him now to see... Because actually, he's never read this book, which is just insane. The standout moment has got to be when the bat comes crashing through the window of Wade Manor, because that's like the classic moment when he 
finds the identity that will become Batman. Some of the mid-chapter images as well, so like this one, um, which is chapter two, War is Declared, where you see him in the costume holding the cape is quite stunning imagery as well. It's a very, it's a very unique looking book. It's very, the lines are very thick. The facial features are quite sparse, but the emotions are in there. Uh, and it's, it, it's almost drawn in a very, very classic style. It almost looks like that 40s style, but with more of a kind of 80s, 90s sensibility about it. So the violence is upped. The, the colours are a lot more drained. It's a lot more washed out. Skin tones are very different and almost unreal in places. Striking. It's striking is what mm. is the word I'm looking for. It's a very striking book visually. And it's one that I can't believe you haven't read. And I'm tempted to just go straight to Comicsology and buy it digitally now so you can start reading it tomorrow. Yeah, I'm not I'm not great with reading the old hardbacks. I much prefer a digital comic. Um, just because it's easier for the commute really. Uh, but a good thing about year one is that it got its on screen debut as well. Yes, so there was an animated movie, but it does take some creative license with it. It's not a strict adaptation. It's not bad, I'm not saying it's bad, but it does it does take some liberties with the story. You also got it adapted in Batman Begins in some respects, that is a sort of year one type story, but very much told for a Hollywood audience rather than a comic book audience. And you see a little bit of it in Gotham Knight, the animated anthology movie as well. You get to see some snippets of when he's training abroad, but nothing that quite lives up to the heavy hitter that is Batman Year One. Mm. Um, your um, sentence is probably one of your all-time favourites. I think it probably is, yeah. Uh, I'm saving my absolute all-time favourite for possibly next, possibly the one after. I haven't quite decided the order of these last two. Uh, What's okay. next on your list? So next on my list, we're sticking with Mr Loeb. Are we? Not Commissioner Loeb. Not Commissioner Loeb, though that is quite funny. Um, and again, this is uh, a Jim Lee, no? Well, hey! A Loeb and a Lee. Also oh, someone that I've met, and I realise, I'm not name dropping, I'm not trying to name drop. Oh, I just hate but... people who do that. <laughs> He's one of my absolute, I mean I don't draw comic books, obviously, I don't write comic books, but he is my comic book hero. I just... He's just amazing, I love his artwork. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not a massive... I've never really paid that much attention to who the artists were. I know that sounds really bad. Um, but when we did go to, to San Diego for the first time, we went to Drawing with Jim. Oh, Drawing with Jim is just one of the best things that you'll ever do ever in your life. And the man is just a genius. It's like Bob Ross from the modern age. He is. He is he's the comic book Bob Ross. But he's just, he's just hysterical and he's so funny. And he's he comes across as just like a really nice guy. Yeah, he does. And he knows how to work the, the the crowd as well. He does, yeah. No, he's, he's, he's a good public speaker. He's, he knows what he's doing. So which book is it? Sorry, yeah, we're gushing. It's the Jim Lee podcast. I'm just gushing away here. Jim Lee fancast. Yeah. If you're listening, Jim, would we say hey? Coming soon. <laughs> An hour dedicated to Lee. So this one was published, uh, it's a bit newer, so a bit further on than the long Halloween so we've moved on from 96 we're a bit more modern and we've come into 2003 technically December 2002 but yeah so we're coming to 2002 and this is Batman Hush I feel like you've got to say it with a hushed voice because it's hush soon to be an animated movie this year in fact in the hands of of Bruce Timm as well yes no less very very high hopes for that one 
Let me read you the back page and give you a bit of a bit of an overview of the old hush here. Gotham City is infected by a crime epidemic and all of Batman's enemies have emerged to throw his life into utter chaos. But little does but little do they know that they're all pawns of the villainous hush in his elaborate game of revenge against Bruce Wayne. Pushed past his breaking point, Batman will need to use more than the world's greatest detective skills to uncover the true identity of this mysterious mastermind before it's too late. That was... that. <laughs> Excellent. You Thank are you. in the wrong job. You should not be a nurse. I will be voiceovering. Voiceovering? Available for birthdays and bar mitzvahs. Yep, I'm here all week, Aaron. I'm here all Interesting week. thing for me about this book is, uh, and it's probably because it's Jim, but I think of the artwork before I remember the story. If you ask me off the top of my head what Hush was about, I'd tell you it was about Hush. I couldn't give you the minutiae of it, but I could tell you so many of the different covers because I was, at this point when this was being released as a you know, as its individual story each month. I was reading Batman comics for the first time in a while, having had a bit of a break. Um, and I picked it up right at the beginning of this arc, actually. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's well drawn. I mean, the the, the panels... I would hope so, considering how much yeah. we've just... We've just, just given Jim Lee some love. And I think, I was just having a flick through, and one of the ones that jump out to me most is, is that scene in the Batcave where all the Batmobiles are there. Yeah, and that's a everything. That's one that I want to get printed out as wallpaper and have it on the wall mm. somewhere. And obviously, again, so I've just opened up to another page in that classic Batman dropping down from the sky. We Harley Quinn see in the, uh, the theatre as well, stood on the stage. Yeah. There's also a really classic cover that's um, Batman and... I think it's Batman and Catwoman with... Um, well, she, yeah, you've got the kiss, which you showed me is on the back cover. But no, the, there's one of, one of the covers from one of the issues. It'll be in the cover gallery at the back. Is um, I think it's Batman holding Catwoman, and she's covered in... Um, Ivy, it's um, one of the issues that Poison Ivy's in, as well. You've got the classic image as well of um, Batman on the on the rooftop, which is one of the absolute all-time Jim Lee images. Yes, there it is, with the back signal shining in the background. I've got a t-shirt of that. It's one of my favourite t-shirts. Which part of one of those standard prints you get in HMB, isn't it? Yeah, and then you've got the Superman equivalent as well. There is the Superman that's the flip side, so that they can face each other if you put the two prints together. What is it about the story of this one that you enjoy? So again, so I think it's that it's delving back into Bruce's childhood, so you get yeah, to see an old friend. It's Tommy, isn't it? Yeah, so Thomas Elliot. That's the one. Yeah, so the brain, it's a brain surgeon, so he has to call him in to, to help him in his in his time of dire need because he's paralysed in the back cave, um, and then it's just kind of it's like a massive rogues gallery, really. So it, everyone's in there. See, this was just an excuse yeah. to throw in everyone for Jim to draw. So it's just everybody, really. And then we all, it's also the first appearance of a certain other character who we have not seen for a long time. Is it? It is, Would yes. you like to enlighten the listeners at home? So you may or may not be familiar with a character called Jason Todd. <laughs> oh, him. I think I've heard of him. Yeah, so we, we may have discussed him briefly in another podcast related. Um, but I think that was well done because it was portrayed as a... It's almost like a like a fake Todd, really, and um, because you know he, he was obviously dead. Yeah, and they sold it to him, so you know it's, it was all part of this trying to to break Bruce's mind, basically. So he goes to to Jason's grave, and he's standing there in the Robin costume. He's like, "But you're dead. It's not you." And then they have this whole dramatic fight, and then he disappears, and then we're all led to believe that it was just some sort of 
I don't know, like Clayface pretending to be Jason. Maybe. Yeah. But then, if you then go on to read sort of Red Hood, The Lost Days, and Red Hood and Outlaws, we then get to we then we then realize that actually was Jason because it, at that point he was back from the dead and he was being trained by by Raish or Raz depending on your pronunciation. Raish al Yes, well done. Yeah, who is also in Hush, so it all kind of all links up and it fits quite nicely. It's, I think this book is endemic of possibly the best era, in my opinion, of Batman comics, because you had Batman. Still very much forging his own path, but you had that Bat family around him that functioned well in that era. The dynamic between all of them was excellent. They all had their own things that were going on in their own series, those of them that had them. But you had... This was just an era where DC Comics was very much a big family in that respect. And I'm trying to figure the best way to say it. When you think about how Batman is right now with the family disassembled, it's hard to imagine a time like this. Whereas, when you think back, it's hard to think of that version of Batman and that version of those characters not functioning and being like they are now. Does that make sense? Yeah. This was very much like a, a go-team kind of era, and we don't have that now, and I do miss that. Not that I'm saying it doesn't work now, it's just very different, and this is something that I particularly lead into. Yeah, so I would agree. So you've got that nice overall Bat family, like we're working together, we're going to take down the bad guy sort of theme. Yeah. Whereas now it's a bit darker and everybody's a bit more broody and... Which is fine, and I absolutely love that. But there's just... There's something very special about this because you do get to see everyone together and you do get that family team fighting crime atmosphere, but not in a, forgive me for saying this, Marvel way. This is, this is my thing. When people who don't know so much about comic books say to me, why do you like DC? They're all dark and broody. Why don't you like Marvel? The reason that Detective Comics, DC, is called DC is because it's Detective Comics. It's noir stories. It's more dark by nature because that's the history of it. Marvel Comics is exactly what it says. It's Marvel. It's marvellous. It's bright. It's sunny. It's shiny. Everyone is happy. There are consequences but they are less so impactful than they are in DC. DC is born out of a darker atmosphere, Marvel is not. And this is an excellent hybrid of that idea. That really makes sense. Yeah, uh, I think it did. You, I went off on a tangent. Carry you, on. You, yeah, what were we talking about? Hush, yeah, it's good. Read it. <laughs> Sorry. I, I went to a place. We've, we've, come, uh, we've fallen down the rabbit hole here of Neil's mind. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so it's, it's dig, the, dig, it back out, dig it back out. Yeah, it's not the best place to be. So, yeah, so I, I really like this. Uh, again, so it's got everybody in it. It's got all of the faves. It's got a bit of Nightwing. It's got a bit of... It's got a bit of Timmy Drake as Robin. We've got a bit of Red Hood. Jim Lee's, uh, Jim Lee's Nightwing, and he said Jim Lee's Batman, is, uh, is also one of my favourite drawings as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's really yeah. Oh, one of my one of my top faves. Which who's Robin in this? Is there a Robin in this? Yeah, so it's Tim. Tim. It is Tim, isn't it? Which costume is he in? I say as I'm flicking through the book. So he's in his classic Robin costume with the red, red and black motif. What is your 
number two penultimate pick. Oh, okay. So, this is really tough, because I have two comics in my hands, uh, yeah. and I don't quite know where to go. I would go, if it was me, left hand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's the penultimate. So, currently in my hand, I have... Give us the build-up, give us the year. <laughs> but keep the, keep the viewers guessing, listeners. Keep the listeners guessing. Okay, so the book that I have in my hand right now is uh, is a volume one of a multi-volume story. Okay, narrows it down, narrows it down. Writers in this book are Bob Gale and Devin K. Grayson. Pencilers are Alex Maleev and Dale Eaglesham. What was the name that's still around quite a lot these days? Inkers are Wayne Foucher, Jamie Mendoza, Sean Parsons and Aaron Saud. Colorists, Dave Stewart, Pamela Rambo and Noel Giddings. Is this ringing any bells for you? Oh, several. Uh, so, uh, this was uh, copyright 1999, and this is a first edition actually, so I've got Ooh, to be careful because it put is... Put that down. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's had a lot of love, this book, and it is, it's got that it's old smell book, like a book. It's got that old book smell about it, and the spine is actually starting to fall apart a little bit. Yeah, to put it down, because if it's a first edition, that's our retirement. Okay. okay, so the book that I am talking about is Batman No Man's Land, Volume 1. Ooh, what a choice. So, No Man's Land is one Epic. of... I, well, actually, to be fair, the book that I'm going to pick as my number one is a, is probably my favourite graphic novel, and it is a one-shot and it's a one-off. Uh, I would say that No Man's Land is my favourite classic Batman storyline of all time. I first picked up an issue of this... Uh, what did I say? Nineteen ninety-nine. So I was stuck in an airport. I think I was in Portugal, waiting for a flight home from holiday, with the fam, um, and picked up an issue of Batman, which was called Batman Aftershock. I would only so nineteen ninety-nine. I'd be like fourteen, um, so not quite reading comic books enough to have a grasp of like storyline arcs just yet. And Aftershock was a story. That was the well. The issue that I bought focused on Bruce Wayne, stuck in Wayne Tower, which was one of the only buildings left after Gotham had been hit by an earthquake, which I was really intrigued by. So then, when I was a little bit older, I went back and started reading No Man's Land. So there are five volumes. Technically, there's more than that. So there's five volumes to No Man's Land, but No Man's Land is preceded by Cataclysm, which is preceded by Contagion, and it's just one huge storyline so Contagion is um, where Contagion. Uh, obviously there is a plague Batman leaves Gotham to try and find a cure for it uh, Cat, I think Catwoman is poisoned by it and is near death when he returns there's this massive earthquake which is then Cataclysm which completely ruins the city and then No Man's Land which is obviously now being adapted in Gotham so many comic books actually adapted into Gotham bearing in mind they all feature Batman and he's not in the show so the premise of No Man's Land is that the bridges have collapsed, the power is out, the US government has completely abandoned Gotham, and Gotham is no longer part of America. The idea is it's been denounced by the, by the country, and it's now its own wasteland, which is called No Man's Land. Batman leaves for part of the story to try and rescue the city, and the Bat fam have to try and keep things ticking over, but it's essentially a story of Batman without necessarily having all the gadgets and all the stuff he would normally have trying to 
keep the city alive. But it's just, there's so many little human stories in it. So there's an issue down the line which uh, predominantly features Nightwing where uh, one of the roads has cracked open and cars have fallen down and Nightwing, I think it's Nightwing and Robin, are trying to rescue people that are trapped in their cars from down there. And it's not, it's like a huge scale story but with hundreds of little stories within it as well. And I've got it digitally now as well, which features... So the the volumes that we have physically are the just the core story, but I've now read the whole thing, which includes every extra side story. So Azrael gets involved, everyone is involved. And it was just... It's just a huge storyline. It is absolutely... I mean, it, it lasted for an entire year, I think. I think it, it, took, it, felt, it took me a long time to read the huge digital story version because it was so long. You get the death of uh, Gordon's second wife as well. Yes. Who he cheated on Barbara with, uh, and she gets unceremoniously shot in the head in a bank vault by the Joker when she's trying to look after the babies. There's just It's full of really dark, shocking moments, but it's quite hopeful at times as well, which I quite like. It has everything that I love about a Batman story in that it's dark and it's relatively hopeless at times but you have your you have your vigilante that brings hope at the end that's a good choice thanks I don't I, it's tough to know what to say about it really because it's just I didn't read the back page um, yeah, give us your best uh, movie voiceover oh I don't have one oh, well I'll just do my best BBC voice okay, give us your best BBC give us your best Terry the, Terry Morgan that's okay. a good BBC voice the Dark Knight City is dead the quest for justice is over now the quest for survival begins. Spinning out of the devastating events of Batman Cataclysm come the stunning and gripping first two chapters in the No Man's Land saga, No Law and No and New Order, written by Bob Gale, who was the screenwriter of Back to the Future. Oh. With art by Alex Maleve and Wayne Voucher, features the first appearance of the enigmatic new Batgirl and, Dark Knight, and the Dark Knight's return to a home that needs him now more than ever, and in Fear of Faith, which is written by Devin K. Grayson, Batman, Batgirl and Gotham's Femme Fatale, the Huntress, face off against the Scarecrow, who has turned a church relief project into a private testing ground for his experiments. Just that whole, like it, like they're doing in Gotham in Season 5, you've got that amazing map of the city where each villain has taken over their own little bit of territory. Um, and it's just like Gotham run, run completely run amok. The villains can do whatever they want. Batman's struggling to keep control. Cassandra Kane is... Uh, don't get me wrong, I love Barbara Gordon. But I love Barbara Gordon as Oracle probably more than I love her as Batgirl. Whereas Cassandra Kane, who I thought was an excellent Batgirl. And Huntress is pretty good in this storyline as well. It kind of leads into Birds of Prey, which was also, I think, maybe controversially, at its best as a comic book in this era as well. Any, any thoughts from you on No Man's Land? I just think it's a really epic story. I don't think it's as uh, as well liked as I think it is. No, but then I think it's probably so. The first time I tried, I tried to read it on the paperbacks that we had a few years ago, and I think only made it up to volume three, and then I sort of gave up a bit. Um, but then when we got the the digital version, I found it. I was yeah, I loved it then. It did take a long time to read it, but I think overall it was a really good story. And there was just so much story in there. That's one that I generally read once a year, actually. You know how you do your once a year Buffy rewatch? This is like my once a, I, once a year I will read No Man's Land. Although maybe not the <laughs> the ultimate editions. Maybe stick with the core story. all you read once a year. Okay. So this leads us to your top choice. 
What is your number one choice? My number one choice that we have today. So again. Again? Not another Capullo and uh, Snyder. It is not another Capullo and Snyder. So this is another one from the newish Volts. So the last ten-ish years. So it was published in 2006. I would technically say that's 13 years, but yeah. Well, ten-ish makes me feel a bit better, really. Um, and it was written by Jude Winwick and uh, Doug Mankey. Mankey? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, this is a funny one. I like this one. So Judd Winnick rather than Jude. Oh, is um, it Judd? But okay. I've oh, always called him. Uh, I've always called him Doug Mankey, but um, they were discussing him on DC Daily the other day, and I'm pretty sure it's like Mark. Oh, really? It's probably is something to do with <laughs> So, I've always called him, and I do apologise if he ever happens to listen to this, but I've always called him Mankey. Well, it's, it's spelt Mankey. <laughs> but I suppose Monk sounds much nicer. Or Monk. Monk, sorry. Monk. Sorry, Doug. Uh, and you've also got Paulie, Shane Davis, and Eric Battle. So, if you haven't guessed it already, this is Batman. Funny that, given the yeah. topic of the this podcast. And he is under a red hood. Okay. I can understand why this is your top choice. We've got a bit of Joker, got a bit of Batman, got a bit of Tim Drake. Got a bit of Todd. And, if I'm not mistaken, I think I've just discovered, lurking in the book, (laughs) a British Airways boarding pass from the 14th of July, uh, 2015, flying from San Diego to uh, London. Yep, so, funnily enough... We bought, bought this I at bought San this Diego Comic-Con. At San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> and your boarding it. pass is still in the book. And that's clearly my bookmark, and I finished the whole thing on the flight, because it was a very long flight. You did read the... I remember you reading the whole thing on that flight. Uh, yeah, because, it, you know, it's a long flight. Shall I give you the, the back page? Go for it. So, <clears throat> let's, get, let's get ourselves ready here. Best Scottish accent. I don't know if they'll understand it. <laughs> okay. Our fans in the British Virgin Islands won't follow what you're talking about. So, who's hiding under the red hood? Oh, no, no, it's just doing an actually now. Can't help it. When somebody says we don't do a Scottish accent, it just happens. Batman already has his hands full trying to take down Black Mask, Gotham City's reigning crime boss, when a new adversary calling himself the Red Hood appears in town. But who is this masked opponent who causes trouble for heroes and villains alike? Is Red Hood just another criminal in Gotham or is there a familiar face hiding behind the mask? Someone from the Dark Knight's past come back to haunt him? Ever the detective, Batman won't rest until he has tracked down the truth behind the new foe who can anticipate his actions a little too well. So why is this your number one choice? So it embodies everything that I like about the Bat family, basically. So I love an underdog, I love a Robin, and I love, I've just, as we've discovered recently, I, I do love a lot of Jason Todd, which I'm quite surprised by. Um, I, I've, I've never read this book, as it turns out. Yeah, I mean, it's such a, such a good book, because it gives you that, there's a lot of stuff in there to mine. So you've got the, the con- you've got the storyline between Jason and the Joker. Did I see Black Mask then as you were flicking through as well? There is Black Mask, there's Freeze, there's Superman, everybody's in this book. And then... You've got Green Arrow. Oh, nice. You've got the really nice scene where Jason 
gets his own back and beats the Joker to a bloody pulp. Um, as you can see here. Yes, that's quite gruesome. Q Definitely not PG-13. What does he say there? So he says, how does that feel? <laughs> and uh, does it follow quite closely the... Well, sorry, I should say this the other way around. Does the animated movie follow the story of the book quite closely? I just saw Mr. Freeze. I can't remember him being in the movie. No, I mean, it follows it as close as uh, an on-screen adaptation would. So you do get the nice bit at the start with the Maisel, with Batman and Nightwing. Yeah. To be fair, that has a lot further into the storyline in the comic than it is actually on screen. Yeah. You still get the storyline of Black Mask trying to take down this new threat. And him trying to take down the new threat is bringing in all the other catalogue of villains with it that we don't really get to see in the animated short hmm okay any other reasons why that is your number one pick as a Batman comic book I think it's just because it focuses on a on a broken Robin really (laughs) so in a in a in a podcast where we're talking about our favourite Batman stories you did pick a story that although it has Batman in the title focuses on a Robin Yep, but you know, you picked a story that focused on Joker and Harley, so... <laughs> Alright, touche. Uh, yeah. And you can't even... You could t- technically argue that uh, 2020 is 80 years of Robin, but technically it's 80 years of Dick Grayson Robin, not Jason Todd. That's fine, we've got lots to talk about that. <laughs> Alright, anything else you want to say about this one? I, I have literally nothing to say because I've not read it, but no, you I have think, solved me on it, yeah, so I will read it. I think read it, definitely read it, and if you're going to read it, also get yourself... Um, the Lost Days Red Hood as well because that's a really good prelude into how he how he comes back and how he gets to where he is in Under the Red Hood so the training okay. and the because there's a lot of stuff there with his background with Talia and League and all the other weird stuff that goes on with Ducard and the old castle and stuff so there's a lot of story there so I would say definitely go and check it out hmm. and The Lost Days is quite short actually yeah, we own that one, don't we? And it's a much smaller book. Yeah, I think it's only four issues of... Yeah, it's not a huge book. Okay. That leads me to my number one choice. So give us give us, um, give us, us some hints and see if we can get the viewers at home to guess. Uh, the back page simply has the words suggested for mature readers... Oh, dear. ...on uh, it. Um, it. My copy is from Titan Books and cost five ninety nine. That's a bargain, but I suppose in those days it was quite a lot of money. This is an original 1988 first edition. Again, this is only... Put it down. Yes, this has been touched by human hands once because I bought a more recent copy to to read. Uh, But this is... I bought it... Well, I obviously buy this in 1988 because I would have been three. Um, But when I got it, I got a volume one. It is a book by Alan Moore... Brian Boland and John Higgins and it uh, features a little dialogue box on the cover. There's only one character on the cover and the dialogue box just says smile. Mm. Intrigued? Do we have an idea what it might be? I think they've probably guessed it by now. I'd hope they would have guessed it by now. So my number one choice is uh, (laughs) do you know in my head there I just heard your Patrick Stewart impression. Number one. Uh, is Batman the Killing Joke. This has been my favourite comic book since the first time I ever read it, which I think was around and about 97, 98. So you were quite young, really. Yep. Again, 
Were you ready for mature content at that age? <laughs> yes, it was. Similar to um, my experience with No Man's Land, we had a local comic book shop in my hometown, but it I lived so far out of town that it's not like I was going every week and picking up the comics that were coming out every month and keeping up with individual stories. Yeah, his so, house is in a field of yours. <laughs> I think I'd been for a dentist appointment and went to the comic book shop afterwards and picked up an issue of a series which was called Batman Chronicles, which I still have. It's still here somewhere. It's in this house in a plastic bag being kept very safe. But I think the premise of Batman Chronicles was that it told a lot of stories around Batman, so I can't even remember that he was particularly in the issue. But the issue that I picked up focused on Barbara Gordon, and I can. it's got a really memorable front cover, which is like a picture of Barbara in a frame looking all happy, and then her wheelchair... So in reading it, I didn't know why she was in a wheelchair, but the whole issue was like a, a little story about Barbara and Jim um, and how they coped with her being in a wheelchair. So obviously at that point, I'm thinking, oh, why is Barbara Gordon in a wheelchair? She's Batgirl. This is interesting. I think it flashed back to her time as Batgirl as well, and there was a sort of grieving process that she was going through about the fact that she no longer had the use of her legs. And that was the point for me where I realised that comic books weren't, I'm going to do it again, the Marvel ideal of comic books. Oh God, we're not going down this hole again, are we? I, no, we're not going down that hole again. And I do read Marvel comic books. I do subscribe to X-Men. I do subscribe to Daredevil. I do subscribe to Spider-Man. I'm not saying I don't read Marvel. But this was, this was my understanding that comic books were not light and fluffy and not happy. They weren't dando. Dando? Dando and Beanie. Beano and Dandy. Um, so I then went back and read The Killing Joke. And obviously there's a lot of focus on Barbara Gordon because she is heavily affected by it. That whole cover really relates to what happens to her rather than what happens to Batman. But it's an amazing Batman story at the same time. I think you see him pushed to his absolute limits. It's, it's so... I... It's, I think it's emotionally affecting to read. So you... It just from start to finish. I mean, there's barely any dialogue in the first few pages. You just get a lot of the the rain outside Arkham Asylum and the puddles. And then the image of Batman sitting down and playing cards with a Joker and then realising it's not the Joker because the white makeup has rubbed off his hand and then he rubs it off his face. And then you quickly go down the rabbit hole of the circus, the flashbacks to joker's origin story and you get a bit of the red hood obviously in there to then seeing barbara at home with her dad you don't even see her as batgirl in this issue whatsoever you see her they're just having a coffee and reading the paper and sitting down together when the door goes and you get the whole moment where he shoots her to then seeing gordon tied up naked in the in the circus with oh, joker showing him all the photos and of barbara little things the little impish things you get the implication that Joker may have done more than just taking photos of her because she's stripped naked and all of those. This this is not, well, like it says on the back, suggested for mature readers. And then getting to see the reaction that Batman has afterwards, so when he finds out what's happened to Jim, finds out what happens to Barbara, you've got that iconic shot of the Joker with his hands on his head. Uh, again, got that on a T-shirt. But the moment for me that really stands out is that last page. So the last page, the first image is Joker close up in the frame with Batman stood behind him and the Joker's laughing. 
and then it flips to be uh, Batman close up in the frame and again Joker's still just laughing and then Batman just says heh and it's the, the shot is just Batman's face and he's got a smirk and the rain's running down his down his cowl and he says heh and in the next one he's laughing almost as much as the Joker and then the two fall into absolute hysterics but Batman's hands around Joker's throat and then the, the very last panel is just the ripples of the rain on the floor and you're left wondering whether he killed the Joker or not and you think, is this the story that finally broke Batman? Did Batman kill the Joker because he snapped? Did the Joker finally do it? And I just, it's just an amazing story from start to finish. Less so the animated movie, but still not unenjoyable. Oh, controversial. Um, I suppose we're not really, we're not talking about animated movies in this one, but it is important to mention that animated movie because it is very different in ways and very controversial I like points. the adaption of the Killing Joke storyline I like many other people found the prologue a bit weird yes I would agree <coughs> when um, did you first read this book was that because I told you to read it yes read this book it's pretty much how it went really yeah finger waving and everything what are your thoughts on this one it made me feel quite uncomfortable but also really enjoyed it as well because it is a really true it's how I'd always picture the Joker to be yeah so it's not like a, a Cesar Romero Joker <laughs> no it's not, not even a Jack that. Nicholson Joker it's not even a Jack Nicholson Joker it's not even a Jared Leto Joker it is a proper crazy really 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 dark Joker and where um, how he could be Maybe should be. Should that's an well, interesting phrase. No, not should. Harry, Harry was Harry's always portrayed to be that sort of manic psychopath with no limits. Yeah, I mean, so often he's he's written restrained. When you well, okay, so go back to my first choice. Look at uh, Mad Love. That's not a Joker that would do what this Joker did. No. Not in the slightest. No. But then that's not very child-friendly. Whereas this is a, a mature content joker. Yeah. I think there's something much more enjoyable about... Well, I say much more enjoyable. Mad Love is still one of my favourites. But there's something more enjoyable about seeing them be allowed to do these... Well, stories that now exist in Black Label. The mature content. I think it just... It allows for stories that feel more true to who the characters are in terms of their origins rather than you know here they are portrayed as a cartoon or here they are portrayed as an animated movie yeah so it's gonna it's a bit more true to life really if i mean if if this was a true life joker that is what he would probably be like yes you know which is not something that bears thinking about particularly no so realistically you're not going to get him walking down the street with gas balloons he's going to be doing (sighs) something like this which is just equally as terrifying but much more psychologically terrifying at the same time because you'd be thinking god that could actually happen yeah and the consequences from it led into some amazing comic books as well because this is obviously 1988 so the whole idea of Barbara Gordon in the wheelchair is still around in 1999 in No Man's Land it's years after that that they retcon the whole thing and give her back the use of her legs in fact it's only in New 52 New 52 was when they unwrote Oracle and put Barbara Gordon back in the Batgirl suit and she still is in it. It's great to see her in it again, but 
that is a that's a golden age for me. But you know, we still get links back to this. If you look at Heroes in Crisis, there's that again very controversial scene where she lifts up her top and shows the scar. Yes, yes, that is very true because now she has the implant that means that she can walk, but the shooting still happened. It's just the consequences of it that have changed. There was also that really controversial cover that was never published. Uh, there was a cover a couple of years ago for Batgirl Comics that had Joker back in the Hawaiian shirt with his hand around her neck with her in the Batgirl costume. I think he's holding a gun to her head as well, which was cancelled because it was felt that it was it was inappropriate. Mm. So yeah, it's a very topical issue. And a, yeah, a good choice for number one. Thank you. Good choices on your part too. Thank you. Anything before we wrap up and say... Goodbye, good night, good day to our listeners about Batman comics. No, I mean I think you know I'm not a I'm not a massive reader of the main continuity. Like I said, I'm more into the the Bat families. So things like other issues that spring to mind that I really like would be Batman six six six. Again, that was my first issue uh, on my subscription. Yeah, again because that's that you know that's the Damian Wayne Batman in a in a dystopian future. Yeah, you really also enjoyed the whole period of Damien as Robin and Dick as Batman. Yeah, yeah. So I really like that. So I like the alternative Batman storylines with the extended family taken in. Not that I don't like Bruce and his Batman. Um, I don't know, I just seem to to get on better with the Robins in a grown-up form. That's fair enough. Every person's different, so... If that's what you enjoy reading, that's what you enjoy reading. I mean, when you look at my my pull list of comics, there are weeks sometimes where I'm reading Batman, Detective Comics, and Batman Beyond at the same time. I just read anything with a bat in the title. I, just I mean, I read plenty of other things, but, you know, the bats will always come first. I suppose if you look at my weekly reading, it's be things like Titans, Teen Titans, Nightwing... Red Hood and Outlaws, Red Hood. <laughs> yes, very with, much in that. With a bit of, you know, Constantine, Justice League Dark, bit of that thrown in just to, to offset yeah. it all. Yeah. What are your final thoughts? I feel like we're doing a Jerry Springer show now. You're doing a Jerry Springer show on me again? Nothing really. I mean, what was the... <laughs> nothing, after all that. Yeah. <laughs> after all that, nothing. Point. No, what I was going to say was, can you remember what the first Batman comic was you ever read? Uh, probably Batman Forever movie adaption. Uh, so I had this conversation. How did I? Ha- oh, I had this conversation as part of the Hulk topics for We Have a Hulk this week, which was what your first memories of um, superheroes. And mine was reading a Batman comic book sometime around, I think, 94, 95, um, which was a Batman Dracula comic book. And it's not Blood Rain. This is. And it, it worries me, because I know this comic book is in the house somewhere, but it's falling apart because it's so old. But I think it's a 1983 that was reprinted in the 90s. It's like a Batman versus Dracula. Not quite a mature readers only, but um, quite mature content. From that, I moved on and read a lot of Learn to Read with Batman. Wait, I, I think who's who's a better person to learn to read with? <laughs> well, exactly. You know, it'd be much more exciting than the Biff, Chip and whatever that I had when I was growing up. <laughs> the magic key I think that just about wraps it up yeah I think we've given our our, our insights into the the bat world on print Uh, I hope that you have enjoyed it if you haven't read anything that we have discussed I suggest you go and read it now 
definitely pick up everything that we've just talked about because they're all great bat books and make sure to pick up Detective Comics 1000 which if you're listening to this on release day is out today woo yeah so I'm very excited so I've enjoyed the build up I know you've not enjoyed it as much I haven't unenjoyed it I just I, because it's such a similar like I was saying before because it's such a similar story to what's happening in Batman I feel a little bit like I'm reading the same thing on alternate weeks oh I see <laughs> so I'm not reading Batman so I've only just dipped into the detective countdown so that's probably why I'm enjoying it more I am thoroughly looking forward to owning Jim Lee's stunning cover with its shot of the Bat family in the Batcave. If there's any stories that we haven't discussed that you want to tell us about, then feel free to get in touch. All the usual channels. So we're on Twitter at GetYourComicOn. I'm on Twitter at NeilVag. And I'm at BoyWonder89. Send us a message. Let us know. As always, let us know if you're enjoying listening to what we're talking about. If you've got any ideas for future topics, get in touch. We have an email address for it now, which is podcast at getyourcomicon.co.uk. You can drop an email to the podcast. God, we're so fancy. (laughs) And uh, we will see you for what was going to be our discussion for this week, but timing shifted around slightly, which will be our talk on uh, the present and future of Batman movies. So until then... Good night. Bye.